Welcome to the Scholars and Storytellers podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers at UCLA. This episode, recorded on November 11th, 2020, is about learning from home. How can storytellers play a part in this new normal? With Hallie Stanford and Dr. Roberta Golenkoff, moderated by Dr. Yalda T. Uhls. Hallie Stanford is the president of television at the Jim Henson Company. Dr. Roberta Golenkoff is the Unidel H. Rodney Sharp Professor of Education, Psychological and Brain Sciences, and Linguistic and Cognitive Science at the University of Delaware, and director of the Child's Play, Learning, and Development Laboratory. Our moderator, Dr. Yalda T. Uhls, is the founder and executive director of the Center for Scholars and Storytellers, and author of Media Moms and Digital Dads. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. Today, we're going to be talking about learning from home, how storytellers can play a part in this new normal. I'm Yelda T. Uhls, Dr. Yelda T. Uhls. I am the founding director of the Center for Scholars and Storytellers, and I am thrilled to have with me Dr. Roberta Golenkoff and Hallie Stanford. I'm only going to tell you a teeny bit about them, and then I'm going to let them really dig into their bios. But um, Roberta Golenkoff is an incredible collaborator of the Center for Scholars and Storytellers and one of the world's leading experts in play and learning from home and learning um, using media. And Hallie Stanford is one of my friends who I've worked with for a very long time when I was in the business and now as an academic um, she is the EVP of Henson Television. I hope that's the right title. You might even be president now. I, I'm, president. What? <laughs> I'm president now. President. <laughs> yes. Just like Kamala will be one day. Yeah. Um, and um, I'll let you tell her about all the amazing work. The Henson, um, Henson Productions was one of the earliest collaborators with uh, the Center for Scholars and Storytellers and indeed helped us launch this center. So welcome, we'll do a little bit of talking and then we'll start running questions. So first, Roberta, why don't we start with you? Please introduce yourself and tell me why you care about this issue. Oh, I care deeply about how kids use media. Media is not good, it's not bad. It all depends on what you're showing kids. And kids can learn from media and parents can be the mediator. That is parents can help kids interpret what they're seeing and extract meaning from it when they not, might not understand. I do research on media, what kids get out of viewing screens and whether they can learn uh, things like new words and plot structure from stories. And the news is not all bad, which is really important in light of this pandemic. We found that four-year-olds can learn as much about a new story and its plot from watching it on Zoom with an adult as from hearing it live. That is great news because it means you can enlist all your relatives to read to your kids at this time. Oh, that is amazing. I didn't know about that study. Um, please share it with us so we can share it with our audiences. Uh, sure. You know, it's it's incredible because there is research that at very young ages, it's harder for kids to yeah. learn and they don't quite learn as much from right. um, screens, but um, definitely the fact that, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this later, some of the mechanisms that are in place there, but that's pretty exciting. And our kids were four. 
Yeah, four. Pretty. Yeah, that's that's a good age. They're starting to consume media, then. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and Hallie, so nice to see you, President and Mother of Fraggle. Uh, tell me about yourself. Give us your bio or what you know your background, and also what got you here. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, as Yalda knows, I love working with her in the Center for Scholars and Storytellers. I am a research junkie. So also meeting Roberta is like, like it's like meeting a, a movie star. So I'm really, really <laughs> happy to be here. <laughs> um, I have worked with the Jim Henson Company collectively for 27 years. I always wanted to be here. I wanted, it's like Kermit the Frog. I wanted to come to Hollywood and make people smile and sing and dance and be inspired. So working here has been the greatest joy for me. Um, you know, at the Jim Henson Company, we're all about servicing the immediate needs uh, of kids and families, and that immediate need can be education and also entertainment. So that's what we're always responding to, inspiring and entertaining. That's what we're all about. Um, I will just go back to me. You know, from the very beginning, I did know, like in college, that I really wanted to work in children's television, and I had this wonderful opportunity to meet Jerry Laybourne when I was in college. And she said to me, first thing she told me was, always know what kids are about always know what they're interested in. Always be a student of children and families and see what they're doing. What are they reading? What are they buying? What are they learning? And I have just taken that uh, lesson from, you know, a thousand years ago when I was in college uh, to now and uh, what we do. So here we are in this situation um, and we are applying every single piece of knowledge and research, everything that we have done as entertainers and storytellers to come to this point and create new content right now to meet the immediate needs and also thinking a lot about the future and what kids and families will need. So that's why I'm here right now. I'm so happy to just talk about all of this. So we're so um, thrilled to have you guys both be here um, and excited to talk, dig into this topic. So, I mean, both of you are parents and Roberta, you're a grandma. Um, Hallie, you are a mom with a, right now with a nine-year-old in school and you are living through this exact experience. So yeah. with, you know, we'll talk about your job, but I'd also like to hear both of you, you know, how it's going personally. And, and, you know, my kids are old enough that they're able to handle it. So tell me about that. Right. Well, do you want to go first, Roberta? I'm happy no, to go right ahead. ahead, Hallie. Go right okay. ahead. Well, I also have a 23-year-old um, oh. as well, uh, who um, graduated from Skidmore this last semester virtually, Great. which was Aww. hard, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, two, two boys, uh, different, very different ages, going through the same experience and having as a parent to manage that. I would say personally, I feel like as a parent, um, and I could be, uh, I think I'm representing many parents of nine-year-olds, at least kids in elementary school. I think we all wanted an A in COVID parenting. I think yes. I'm like, I want an A plus, and now I'll settle for a B minus. I really will settle for a B minus. But in the beginning, I definitely, you know, I, I felt like I was in Little House in the Prairie. Uh, I, you know, we were opening the schoolhouse. I was Ma, Pa, and, you know, Miss Adel. Um, over scheduling activities. Um, I was definitely out of my tech comfort zone. I think probably a lot of parents felt that way. You know, here's my nine-year-old, the digital native, who like literally set up the entire Zoom Passover for our entire family. Um, but it's like coding classes, mm. out school, mm. brain pop videos, YouTube how-tos, go noodle workouts. And now it's basically just evolved <laughs> into, I'm good with him taking a break uh, from learning, just watching his YouTubers. Um, 
I have now become more supportive of his gaming than I ever had before. I am like, you go to Minecraft. You want to spend a couple of hours. That's where his social currency is. That's right. where he's creative. So I have to say as a parent, like things have shifted. And I do, I'd love to talk to Roberta about this later in the conversation, but like screen time is all one big blur for parents right now. Yes, it is. Social, um, enter, uh, uh, social. it's their social currency, at least for my right. son. He doesn't have right. younger siblings at home. It's their entertainment. And then it's also stress management, you know, a lot of like company right. meditation videos, headspace, and all of it's wrapped up into guilt for parents. How much oh, we let them do. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. also it's fun because it's family mm -hmm. time too, screen time. You know, we watch Mandalorian together. We watch Jeff Goldblum, uh, you know, and it sure. kind of brings us together. So <laughs> anyway, I'm settling for a B minus. Uh, I did get an A back in May, but um, that's where I'm at right now as a parent. I can talk about it as a storyteller, but that's the <laughs> I don't know where you're at, Roberta. So I only have eight grandchildren of various <laughs> ages. So I could like tell you about everybody. But um, I remember my daughter-in-laws uh, thought that they would have their children watch no television before their twins were born. And then that went down the tube. And they do have uh, four children now. and. I think they have always been seriously interested in limiting screen time. They always work to do that. But, you know, the pandemic comes along. The kids can't go outside. Remember, at the beginning, we were like terrified to move. We didn't know if we touched something, we would catch the virus. So, of course, you make adaptations. Of course, watching good programming reduces everybody's stress level. So you, you got to do it. Now, with respect to using Zoom for instruction and education, that's a, a bit of a problem for me with younger children. Anybody like eight years and under and even older, I think kids have a hard time focusing on what's happening on Zoom. Uh, many of yeah. the teachers are recording asynchronous lectures for children, meaning uh, they record it one time, they show it at another time. And I think that's really hard for kids. A woman I bike with told me that she thought maybe her first grader, whom she was helping at home, um, had a learning disability because she said the kid couldn't sit still during these things and like was getting stomach aches, headaches. And I said, you know, it's probably the case that it's Zoom. And I suggested like playful learning things that they could do in between the teacher lecturing and now the child feels successful and like she knows what mm. she's doing, but she couldn't focus six years old, right? And mm -hmm. even if it's short, even if it's 15 minutes, if you don't have those in-person cues, it's really hard for kids. As you all alluded to before, we know from the research that kids two and a half and under have a hard time from learning from the screen. but. We never imagined, I think, that kids as old as six and seven would also be having difficulty. Some of it has to do with how the material is presented. It's harder for teachers to be their usual charming selves and to let their personalities shine, right? You almost have to overdo it to keep right. kids' interest over Zoom. And part of it is it's just too impersonal for these kids. So. We're doing the best we can, and I hope in light of this vaccine that maybe 
by the fall, I don't know about the spring, that we'll be able to go back to school. Yeah, God, I hope so. Yeah, the, the, the other thing I was alluding to is a socially contingent interaction. So because we are yes. able, like I'm able to say something and you're able to respond, yes. that is a way that kids, very young kids can learn from, um, from yes. screens. And that is, um, at least we have that. But if they're just sitting there watching something, it's much more challenging. Absolutely. Um, and I think here what we're here to talk about, though, even though we can talk about school, we're also just here to talk about um, entertainment media, which is what we sure. focus on. And what about that content that they're watching outside of what they're assigned in in school and how can they learn from that? And what can they learn from that? And you already mentioned stress levels reducing and and you know sitting with your child and watching things, which co-viewing is the most amazing thing to do. So, so Maybe that's a good segue to talk a little bit about Fraggles and and sort of which is an entertainment thing. We might show a clip um, and then just talk about like how regular entertainment media, how people at home and how storytellers can contribute to kids learning from these things. Well, I'd say, you know, there's two there's two ways to look at this for us as storytellers and producers in the space. And then I would love to hear from you both about just the viewers and what you're you're hearing. But the the way that, you know, I map it out in my mind is immediate needs. Immediate needs, you know, and this began back in March. Of, like I said, how how do we service families and kids right now? And then mm -hmm. there's the long term because production takes a long time. So the immediate needs and then there's the future. So there's two years usually with animation. Um, so we have to think about kids yeah. from now, right? So there's a lot of like future planning. Um, and then um, there's uh, right now. So right now with the Henson Company, uh, when it happened, we got shut down. We're like, what can we make right now? We have to make something right now. We have a wonderful property called The Kissing Hand based on the book, the wonderful book. Um, and uh, so we started to do videos um, with Chester Raccoon, reading, doing activities, immediately talking to families um, and kids. But then, as Yelda mentioned regarding Fraggle Rock, we got a call from Sir Thornton at Apple asking us if we would be interested in making shorts for families immediately to entertain and inspire them. Mm -hmm. And personally, I just, we're so grateful because out of that um, came the series that ultimately got greenlit. But it made perfect sense to me because Fraggle Rock is all about joy, love, and interconnection. And so we thought, oh, the message we can do immediately with these shorts is we're all in this together, we're all connected, and let's lift everybody's spirits up. Let me tell you, frag nothing like a fraggle to lift your spirit up. That's right. They're, they're very hope punk. They're very like they make like corny cool. They make uh they make joy uh um very, very hip. Anyway, so um that's they they came and they they did this order for us it's called fraggle rock rock on shorts they're free they're in front of the paywall of apple um tv and so um we it was the first covid production that you know i don't know i think that many most anybody did and we just got mm. into it and we made these shorts and within it you'll mm. see we come up with this device of uh, uh the doozers had created doozer tubes so it was our sort of like way of creating it wasn't Zoom. They could only hear each other, but we did Zoom, basically, and that they could talk to each other and interact. We, we suggested activities families could do, like talent shows. We, we, we did songs that could inspire them and brought in really awesome celebrities to sing them. Um, mm. all, kinds of, all kinds of messaging behind what was going on right now. So one of the clips I shared with uh, Yalta, I don't know if we're going to share it, um, 
was when we had the Fraggles connect with Common. And I think we are going to okay. share it. Uh, and with it, so I just want to say one more well, thing way, is we, that this was, a song, okay, this, okay. was a song, this was the song sung by Jim Henson himself. Oh, uh, he played a character called Cantus who sang the song, and so it was a really big deal. Um, mm -hmm. that okay, we did the song with Tom. Amazing. So we've got Annie Myers, by the way, and Jenna Signorelli behind the scenes. So Annie, show us the video. <laughs> Play me wide, play me long, let, let me be your song. Hey, yeah, yeah, I like that. Keep it going. Let's see what we come up with together. <gasps> okay. Oh, that'd be great. Music grows in the rose. Rock and rain in the blowing snowstorm. Everything seems to sing. Everywhere I go. You say one, two, play me do. Let me sound as sweet as you. Play me wide, play me long. Let me be your song. Hey, we sound good. Yeah. <laughs> I love this song. Come on, come and Fraggle. Turn, come and Fraggle. Yeah. Let me be your song, yeah, you can sing along. Uh -huh. Sing it in the sun glow, sing it in the storm, Woo! like a dream that I'm on, bringing us along. Wings become strong when I'm trusting in my song. Might go against the norm, might go beyond. Uh -huh. The movement is the music, showing, proving what we on. Oh, yeah. To the fraggles, the rock stars born. Find your voice, find your song, and we can uh -huh. all join with the one. One, two, play me do. Let me sound as sweet as you. Play me wide, play me long. Let me be your song. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> come on, yeah. yeah. Hey, Boomer, Wembley, Mokey, come, come yeah. join us. Uh, Lay me down on the ground. Sun comes singing from the midnight places. Raise me high in the sky. Song comes drifting through. I say a one, two, play me two. Let me sound as sweet as you. Play me wide, play me long. Let me be your song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Now that's what you call a yeah. finale. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice job, everybody. Oh, yeah. We haven't sung that song in such a long time. And what a beautiful new way to share it. That is the cutest thing ever. And I love it. Isn't that great? And plus, love like, it. such an original way to, like, very early on in the process to be creative with this, um, with the limitations. So, amazing. The thing that's so cool is that we know how important co-viewing is, and we know that parents don't often do it. But when they see who you have singing for the adults, they're much more likely to come in co-view. And this song was just wonderful. I was bopping here while I was listening. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Well, we all came back on. I hope everybody that's watching also did. You just have a smile on your face, right? That's you know, right. That's right. You, feel yeah. Yeah. you feel the love and interconnection. And yeah, the creative limitations at that time, actually, I feel like just made it that much more special. And I don't know if we would have had the opportunity to work with somebody as special and wonderful as Common on something which, you know, was a smaller project if it hadn't been that he didn't come forward and say, yeah, let's all pitch in, let's do right. this. 
And I'm right. sure he, right. he looked like he was having a really good time. Oh, so yes. He was like, can I please be an official Fraggle? Can I be common Fraggle? We were like, it's you so are cute. common Fraggle. Yeah, it was yeah. really and great. I don't want to diss anybody's work, but this is so different than like Barney. You know, this is so rich. <laughs> Just <laughs> so <laughs> rich. Yeah. We would never use the word diss. <laughs> yeah. Hi, listeners. We hope that you were enjoying this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. The Center for Scholars and Storytellers is an organization dedicated to bridging the gap between scholars and storytellers to promote positive youth development. Are you interested in learning more about the other projects we are working on? Check out our website at scholarsandstorytellers.com and find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching Scholars and Storytellers. Now, back to the conversation. I'm going to take it back to our topic. So what are ways, like you watch something like this or other stories, what are ways that research-based um, ways that parents and adults can help children learn from the stories that are watching? And then also, what are some good practices you would you think for storytellers, people like Hallie and other people? I mean, Hallie thinks about it automatically, but lots yes. of other content creators don't. Um, what are ways they can support learning from this kind of content? So you know how uh, Hallie said it was her job to learn everything about what kids are buying, what they do, what they read. Anybody who's writing stories for kids has to do that. And they have to show it to kids and they have to focus group it with kids because the assumptions that we make about links in the story may not be obvious to kids who don't make those kinds of inferences. And it's so fun to watch kids enjoy a story that they understand. And if you're sitting with them as an adult and you talk about it with them after, you can help them draw out. Like, how do you think he felt after that happened? You know, and the kid says, I don't think he felt too good. And what would you have done? So that allows parents to help kids pull out some of the moral content of the stories too, and see the beauty of the story at the superficial level, as well as a little bit down, what it what it means and, and how it might help us in our own lives. Yeah, open-ended questions, right? You know, I mean, I, we always talk yeah. about dialogical reading techniques and, right. you know, we're used to sort of doing that with books and that's a little bit of a fancy word, but some parents do know that and, and you can apply that to media. You certainly can. But it's not just open-ended questions per se. It's more like, in other words, what are open-ended questions? I better define those. Like using the WH questions, uh, what, where, how, why, things like that, as opposed to saying, what color was her dress? That has one right answer. That's a closed question. But if you ask these kinds of open-ended questions, following on your child's interest, if you can figure out what your child is interested in, just like you're supposed to do with reading books, right? You look at what your child is looking at, you look at what they're pointing to, and that's where you ask your questions. And then your children are more likely to talk to you. It helps their language development. And you have an opportunity then to intervene with them to explain. You know, kids, again, don't always get it. And that's what we're there for. We're there to help. Yeah. Um, Hallie, how do you, you know, and how do you take us maybe through a process for Henson, it's, you know, your process of making sure that a piece of content maximizes the needs and positive learning for kids. 
And then how do others do it? And if, are there things that um, you think should be done that aren't done? Right. Um, uh, one of the things I was just thinking about the, that Roberta said too, was that um, the other thing that we do for parents, and I'll talk about our whole process to your question, but I was just thinking about what Roberta said, that we also, in a lot of our preschool shows, we, um, we model parents uh, in the show themselves, asking those same kinds of questions, getting silly, getting involved. Um, I'm actually very, very proud of our pteranodon parents in Dinosaur Train, I must say. I think they're some of the best parents on television uh, modeling uh, the way to be uh, active uh, uh, and engaged parents. So I think that's another thing that storytellers can do. You don't always have the opportunity to do parent characters, but if you do in your stories, it's a great way to give parents yes. a cue and to, to help them understand, like maybe some ways of um, interacting with that content. So even in Sid the Science Kid, yes. uh, mom, you know, she has a way of talking to Sid and encouraging him about what Roberta was saying, their passions. What are they passionate about? And how do you mm -hmm. encourage that? Um, so anyway, I just wanted to respond to that because I was like, oh yeah, I mean, there's other, there's other cues that parents can take from other parents. Yes. Uh, uh, so, but with our show, so um, there's so many different ways that we come up with the show ideas from like passion projects to uh, uh, a, a beautiful book like Dot, which uh, written by Randy Zuckerberg and Yalda worked with us on to a curriculum content where we're like, we actually want to teach a science show and scientific principles. But um, one of the things that we ensure for maximize, you know, when you're saying like maximum, like uh, uh, um, educational impact and entertainment, well, there's so many things we do to hopefully make it entertaining. We try to create kids' best friends. Uh, I like to call it um, their first friends because when I was a little girl, my first friend was Grover. It's true. So I'm always like, we have to make all these um, characters. So it's always about character first in the storytelling. And also we always try to push the visuals in a dynamic way at Henson. But we always work with educators. Always, always, always. And I always like to increase school for two kinds of educators. One, somebody that has an expertise in that particular topic. Usually we also sometimes work with universities as well. So if we're working with Greater Good at Berkeley about a happiness curriculum, a lot of research has already gone into that curriculum and then we can apply it. And then the second is we always wanna work with a teacher with hand, like who is in the field with kids every single day with this topic. So Moises Ramon, who worked with us on uh, the science kid every single day, he was working with preschoolers on science curriculum. So we try to do both um, and bring them in to help. And, and curriculum uh, is interwoven into our, um, into our storytelling. It's not an afterthought. It's not like, oh, we've written the Bible. We've done the story. Uh-oh, now we'll get the educators to give it a thumbs up. Never. Good. Uh, always from the beginning. Um, and then also there's some other shows like PBS. PBS goes much deeper too. PBS uh, asks you to bring on board an advisory um, group of to come in at different points in the process and give feedback. So that's another level. Different networks require different levels of... Um, uh, learning, but I love doing that. That that to me is so wonderful. And then we always are talking to kids. We research with children at right. different steps along the way um, before before green light. That's what we call it, green light when we go into production. And then we usually have some steps um, during the production process where we take a breath and we share it with kids and families, get feedback. Can't always impact everything, um, but uh, it certainly can provide information and learning little topic like i'll say about word party a show we have on netflix 
Uh, Work Party has a very solid curriculum behind it, but if you watch it, it just feels like a fun play date with, with, with animal babies. But um, mm -hmm. when we did kid research on the pilot, what we discovered was that parents said, my, my youngest, I have three kids and my oldest don't want to watch what the youngest is watching. And we were like, huh, I wonder how we can make them feel good about the, about the older children. So we're like, let's up the comedy. Let's up the comedy. Let's make this a party. We changed the name of the show to Word Party so that the older siblings would feel like they were a part of it. So that research was so important. It, it actually informed the name of the show. So if that gives you an idea, y'all, those are the kinds That's of things we put good. into it to make sure that once it hits the screen, we're hitting uh, kids right where they're and parents where they're, they're hoping to learn and, and be entertained. So I'm gonna read, we've, we're starting to get some questions, questions, and we've gotten some really sweet comments, people loving that Fraggle Rock video. Um, <laughs> one person said, yes, love the Tarandanon parents and their parenting an adopted child. Oh, that's not, that's not about Fraggle Rock. From a different background alongside their bio kids. Okay, so here's a question for Hallie from Sina. How has working in children's television shaped your perspective on education? Well, I'm just so lucky. How has shaped my perspective on education is, well, uh, we're all very lucky to have so many incredible educators out there and all this incredible research. So I feel like the luckiest person in the world that I get to jump from working on a show about paleontology to a show, we're working on a new show called uh, Slumberkins, uh, working uh, on um, a serious curriculum about um, managing anxiety and emotional regulation. So I think for us, what we're discovering mm. is all kinds of wonder. There's so much out there. There's so much yes. resources. Perhaps for me as a children's television producer and at this wonderful company, we can actually kind of streamline it for parents and kids, right? Some of the great research out there and streamline mm. it in entertainment. So I think for us, it's just, um, it just shaped me every day because it just inspires me every day. The learning just keeps going and growing. Um, so we're just trying to keep up, uh, you know, truly that's it. Just trying to keep up with all the great education and research out there. I, I love what you just said. I, I think it's so crucial to use media for the better social good. And that's what you're doing yeah. by creating these episodes that deal with issues that parents themselves might not know what to do about. For example, self-regulation is huge. Yeah. If you can't control your own behavior, no one's going to like you and you're going to get in trouble. And when you have parents modeling how to deal with that, it could be powerful and transformative for the parents who are watching. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, Roberta, um, yeah. before I read you this question, I thought maybe you might want to mention um, Child and Family Blog sure. and the work you do. They're co-sponsoring this with us yes. and yes. Um, sharing um, this with, we've been working with them and Roberta introduced us to them. Yes, and the Child and Family Blog is growing and we're making partnerships with groups like Yaldas. And it really does bring out the skinny about what's going on in the laboratories around the world in a way that makes it accessible to parents, teachers, practitioners. And again, I'm very passionate about doing this because after all, it's your tax dollars that fund the kinds of research that I and other people in the academy do. And we want to share it. So it's it's a blog that yes, shares research insights for parents for parents, educators. practitioners educators and what yeah. age 
does it focus on? Yeah. Well, it's uh, roughly zero to eight, <clears throat> roughly. Got it. Yeah, incredible and very readable and easy to read. There's one apparently their most popular one was I think about spanking or hitting the chi child spanking, which is very controversial yes. and around the world. There are very different practices and yes. if you want the research insights, go there. The so data are clear though. <laughs> yeah. Question for Roberta from Brooke. Do you anticipate that there may be a negative impact on the language and reading curriculum readiness in upcoming years for young children? Due to the possibility of them hearing less words or a smaller range of vocabulary due to interacting with a much smaller group of people? Excellent question. Mm. Oh my. So um, we, we talk about the uh, summer slump, which shows us that children lose something over the two months of the summer, right? It's always the poor kids that lose the most. They go down, the middle-class kids stay up. But now, remember, we had six-plus months with no school, not only for poor kids, but for everybody, right? So everybody's going to have a little decline. But there's no such thing as not catching up. I mean, uh, we'll talk to our kids, we'll take them places, and they'll start up school again. And perhaps there'll be a very small decrement in their scores, their standardized scores on vocabulary, but I'm not even gonna worry about it. I think kids are gonna catch up and I don't think this generation by any means is doomed because they lived through the COVID. I really don't think so. Well, and also speaking to media, they can be actually, you know, learning, especially as they get older, and especially if parents are involved, they'll be hearing words through media. They might be hearing absolutely on other thing they're doing. And if parents are talking to them and pointing out what they're learning, you know, there there are different ways they can learn hear words. They can hear it through podcasts or or um, you know, books on tape and music yeah. and all sorts of things. Yeah. Go ahead, Hallie. Well, let me just jump in and say, and this isn't this is not a shameless plug for Word Party. It is truly just trying to, to illustrate that there's and um, producers out there that are actually trying to address this issue. So, Word Party, we work with the University of Chicago with their whole 30 million words initiative of vocab acquisition for very early age kids, just like Roberta was speaking of, of low income families. And so, here you have already a resource at your disposal, a Word Party. It's already there. Yes. You know, we do want to get kids, you know, together. We want, you know, to encourage parents to, to do more words. But there's a show that's servicing How do we get the word out about word party or shows like this? Very marketing. It's very challenging. Please call Netflix. Ask them to market more. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but well, here we go. Word party. Media, media is the best way to disseminate this information for young yes, children. Absolutely. I really well, I mean, it's the whole DNA of, of the center. Yes, it's yes. The whole DNA of our center is that kids and, and adults, everybody learns great, best from story. You know, it's right. like sometimes when you're educating, they know they're supposed to learn and sometimes when they don't want to, you know, they're not, but through story, they can really learn. But I want to thank um, Brooke for that very thoughtful question. And that it was is true that, that people are yeah. interacting less with young children, which is why I hope people are using Zoom to see those relatives from far away who are telling them about their lives so that kids are learning more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. There are different kinds of learning too. Grandparents yes. can tell them about yes. their lives and about history. And that's an interaction. Yeah. Um, question for Hallie from Bianca. 
Has the pandemic impacted the way you think content should be produced? And are any of the changes you are making now ones you would want to continue to implement in the future? There's two sides to that. There's the creative um, content side of that. And then there's production. So I say with the creative content, we're thinking, like I mentioned, ahead two years about shows that are dealing with anxiety, emotional regulation. We're thinking a lot about... um, uh, making children problem solvers and having agency mm-hmm. in um, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with climate change, sustainability. So thinking about that, of course, thinking a lot about diversity and inclusion um, and how that we uh, teach those lessons to younger children. Um, so, you know, like our creative content has shifted. Um, and uh, But the thing that I, now I'll go to production for a minute. I, I find that the Zoom of it all, just like we were mentioning, like being in touch with relatives and coming together in ways that we never have before. I've had an opportunity through Zoom in the pandemic to meet so many types of creators and artists and celebrities and educators that I never had a chance to meet with before and for us all to come together. So I would like to ho- I would like to keep implementing that in the future. This kind of creative collaboration through you know through our virtual brainstorming. Yalda actually was a part of our Fraggle Rock uh, brainstorming where we invited her. We invited poet Kwame Alexander, uh, mm. all the uh, writers and people from all over the country. People from Ireland, from Scotland, all on the same call, seeing each other and interacting. It was beautiful. Mm. So yeah, and no more driving across town for a meeting. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, this is probably a good, <laughs> good place for me to plug um, or to tell you about um, a resource that will be coming out in a few weeks from the Center for Scholars and Storytellers. And we're putting in the um, chat a link to sign up for our newsletter in case you want to know about it first. We're creating a um, research base. This is our third tip sheet all about um COVID. And this will be a um, guidelines. Nancy Cantor, um, who's a leader in this field in Disney, came up with this idea. And we were able to embrace that idea and create a um, research base. I have two graduate students that led it. They're amazing. Um, And basically what it gives you some guidelines, some statistics, and then we have preschool guidelines, we have middle school, and we have um, high school. And they're targeted to content creators, but I think parents will like them too. Um, yeah, so I hope you sign up. You, If you sign up for our newsletter, you will get every, we're gonna have more research in the new year, et cetera. Hi listeners. We hope that you were enjoying this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us and share it with your friends. Your support is greatly appreciated. Now, back to the conversation. Dr. Laurel Felt, who is um, a frequent collaborator of the center, who uh, loves Roberta's work, um, says, question for Roberta, your research illuminates the importance of play for supporting children's development and learning. How can storytellers and content better or differently support play? Does this look like modeling play or encouraging play or advocating for different kinds of merchandise products? Great question. It's a great question. And all I can say is the kinds of shows like Fraggle Rock are the ones that are going to encourage children to play. And 
We want to show children playing. We do want to model it and we want to invite them maybe at the ends of shows to act something out or to bring a play theme into their homes. And I don't know that I've seen shows do that, but I think that would be a great thing to offer children. And there's no question that children get tremendous ideas from the media that they see that it fuels their make-believe and pretend play. And I just love the idea that we could help it along a little bit, especially now with so many kids kind of locked up uh, by encouraging them to maybe Zoom with a friend and maybe act out something that they saw together on a show. There may be things, I mean, this just came to me that we haven't even thought of yet that we could do to encourage children to engage in the kind of social play that many of them are missing out on now. And I would love to see us moving in that direction. There are really what do you no think about yeah. those YouTube um, videos, like um, unboxing and also they have play, they have adults yeah. doing play with dolls and they have kids. Yeah. What's your what's yeah. your take as a developmental psychologist? I, I think that? anything that shows people playing and being happy and engaging with others, especially during this time. I mean, who needs a videotape, you know, on a play and promoting play during regular times when children can run around outdoors with their friends. But yeah. now, now we need to help them recognize how fun it can be and how they can still do it, even though they might be restricted and restrained. I think what's hard for children right now, and I just want to jump in on that, because uh, I, I, of course, as a mom, I have all these questions for Roberta, which is when you have a, a child at home who's alone, who only can play with their friends in Minecraft, um, you know, when they're a little bit older, not younger, um, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of challenging age that in between that nine to 11, um, yeah. uh, having a yeah. zoom play date, they're not necessarily playing star Wars together anymore. It's just, uh, I think there's a real challenge there right now with kids getting yeah. to play with one another that are in that sort of, uh, later, uh, uh, elementary school age. And I think that parents would are craving to know how to, I know I am how to help yeah. them. Yeah, so I, the I'm sorry to interrupt. I frequent. I, I recently came became aware of a technology platform called Caribou, spelled with a U at the end. And Kathy and I were just playing on it. My collaborator, Kathy Hirschpasek, before I came on here, and it allows two people to interact. They see small pictures of each other. And it has games and activities and mazes and things that kids can do together. So it is definitely worth a look and it would definitely promote more one-on-one -on -one interaction between kids over activities that are already on there. In fact, in my lab, I'm hoping that we're gonna do an examination of the use of Zoom for reading. But again, this caribou has tons of other stuff. Uh, versus um, caribou, because I think caribou invites more participation from kids. And anytime you get participation from kids, anytime they're not, they're not sitting like a latka waiting for something to happen, they, they <laughs> win. When they're active, they win. Yeah. They learn yeah. more. Oh, that's great. I'm checking that um, out. Yeah, and I would also say to you, um, um, Hallie, that that video games are okay. That is the way 
kids play today. And that is the way they social. You've heard me say this before in my book. I have a whole chapter on all the great research on video games and Minecraft's an amazing one. Yes. Um, you know, so Roblox they're playing, you know, and, and as they get older, even, you know, my son just applied to MIT. He is a very um, academically successful kid. He just applied. Who knows if he'll get in. But one of his essays is about how much he learned from the first video game that he did and how he learned from creating the worlds and like exploring space. So don't worry. It's play and it's yeah. social. That's don't right. and yeah. they're like learning mental rotation skills That's and things exactly like that right yeah there's a there's a the fda just um approved a video game i think it's called endeavor to um combat um to help help kids who with adhd so there's wow. lots and lots yeah. of research yeah, yeah you can look it up i just told another i was on a gave a parent talk and and the, the person looked it up yeah. so um yeah. you know just know there's evidence Yes, oh. and Patricia Greenfield at UCLA yeah, exactly. has shown that uh, using video games speeds up your eye-hand coordination, which could be very good if you want to be a surgeon, you know. No, it, and there has been, <laughs> now there is research on surgery. Black, black yes, yes. surgery has been done. There's neuroscience surgery. Ooh. Patricia was one of the very first people to do it, and it's especially good for girls. Um, Okay, so I'm going to quickly, uh, oh, and by the way, uh, Laurel said her three-year-old daughter enjoys reading and coloring on caribou with her grandparents. Oh, cool, <laughs> cool. Um, okay, so this is for both of you, um, from Stuart. In what unique ways can a company like Henson, who often tells stories with non-human characters, and uh, Roberta, you might want to share some of the research on um, fables versus real people. Um, respond to social justice initiative and calls for increased diversity and representation on screen. Is the non-human nature of characters a help or a hindrance when having complex conversations with young audiences? So the first part's for Henson, and I think the second part was for Roberta. Yes, well, um, one of the things that, uh, uh, I'm, I'm actually very proud of Sid the Science Kid, so yes, the, the company definitely, we are, we. We were definitely the, the ones who invented, uh, um, and I didn't invent it, but it's not easy being green. You know, you can, yeah, uh, love that. can talk about race and color, and we know love exactly that. what you're talking about uh, yes. from the beginning. So that is the heart of, you know, where Jim Henson was at. Having said that, I'm really, really proud that Lisa Henson and myself, when we started rebuilding the preschool slate at Henson, you know, Sid the Science Kid was our first, and Sid was the first biracial preschooler on television. Um, so we definitely have done representation of, of real kids on screen. Dot, another show that Yalda and I did together. Julie's Green Room, which is on Netflix, which is a really wonderful, diverse group of kids, just in terms of physical race, uh, socioeconomic, and in mm -hmm. Ooh. Uh-oh. Well, let's go to, sorry, hopefully she'll phone right back in. I think she was having I, internet trouble. So. As great as technology is, it's sometimes not, um, so, not as, not as perfect as you want. I, I can go to the next part of the question, actually. Yeah. Um, kids, you know, um, they're called parasocial relationships. Parasocial meaning, oh, you're back. You want to keep Welcome going? Back. Yes, keep going, know, this, is like, goes, this is how it goes in, in, in yeah. quarantine, right? This is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> I was like so not 
stressed about that moment. I think in any other year, we'd all be freaking out. I'm like, all right, let's just re-log on. We're just all so That's used right. to it. That's right. That's right. That's right. So Roberta's telling us yeah. about um, parasocial relationships. Um, kids form serious bonds with parasocial creatures. Like, who was your first friend, Hallie? Grover. Grover, right. So it is often the case that they form a bond with multiple of these uh, creatures, and the creatures can influence how children think and feel. There's a woman at Georgetown named Sandra Calvert who studies the relationships that children develop with these critters. And they can indeed teach how to act with other people, as well as teaching information. And the kids are very likely to pick it up when they like the character. There's a whole nother line of research that shows if children put what we call epistemic trust, if they think that a character knows something, and they will, if it's something that a character they have a relationship with, they're going to learn more from that character. That is the most, you know, it's funny. And Hallie, you may, it's sometimes researchers, I, I you know, having been a former content creator and now research, sometimes researchers will say things like, oh, we've studied it. And we know if you identify with a character, you learn more. Or if you feel emotion, you, you feel, you learn more. And I'm like, Storytellers just intuitively know that, and that's why they create these characters. But it's really nice to have, as as Stephanie Elaine said in one of our things, research backing the intuitions. Absolutely. But Holly, yes. Up, you're going in and out again. But yeah. uh, and remember, you know, other people have different talk, intuitions. I'm talk right now because I'm afraid I'll keep cutting out. But I, if uh -oh. you can hear me, I do want to just I want to say one thing, which is Henson is endeavoring to show more representation of real kids on screen in all of oh, our current developments great. and production. So I just wanted to put that out there because we all need to challenge ourselves. And um, and I also will say that we did our own study, research study at Henson, about non-human characters representing diversity. We did it last summer. And I was stunned to see that, like, definitely well over 70% Oh, I wanted oh, to hear the hear, You and I were like, research. Yeah, yeah we wanted to hear. Well, we're going to have another question for you. Okay. And I'm, I'm assuming this is not our new platform. I'm hoping because you and I are still here. It's it's unfortunately Holly's internet. Um, but with Maybe. the question is from from for you from Alicia. Are there are there any adjustments parents should be making to account for the extra screen screen time children doing distance learning are getting? Less screen time spent for entertainment? Oi. 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 This is a hard one because it all depends on whether or not you have a place for your kid to go outside and whether your kid has access to a field or a yard or can go with you somewhere. Because if kids are in the house a lot more, of course, there are a million things that you can do with them. But sometimes they want to watch their favorite shows. Now, if their favorite shows are of good quality, it's okay with me, especially during this crazy time when you can't call up and have a play date. Now, you could have a remote play date, as we just talked about, or a thing like Caribou, but it, it's more difficult. So I think now is the time for parents to be happy with a B minus 
in parenting as we started with with Hallie, as opposed to feeling like they have to maintain strict limits. It, again, it all depends on whether your children have an opportunity to go outside and play and see friends, which I think is hard now. And Roberta, I mean, you know, you know, Lisa Guernsey's three C's, child yeah. context yeah. Um, and content. Okay. Yeah. So that is something I always tell people and I'm wondering yeah. how you feel about it. Like yeah. you just said high quality content and, you know, and if they're co-viewing and they're, or they're, you know, their parent is very aware or um, the child has a special attraction to yeah. a character that's much more important to think about than time limits. What I agree. And something else has occurred to me while you were speaking, Yolda. I want to mention how important it is for parents to be censors for their children. You know, I think that we are watching television more now, too, as adults, because the news mm. has been so consuming. Now, children should not get to see a lot of adult news programming because it can frighten them. And I think parents have to decide not to watch stuff, especially if it has a violent content, when their kids are around. And now because we're watching more, we have to be more aware that the kinds of television that we watch, including the news, may not be great for kids. Yeah, there is also research that says background noise um, impacts or background television for young kids. It may not be necessarily that they're, you know, absorbing all the content, right. um, but just even the stimulation, it distracts them. It does, it yes. can impact their um, language learning. Yes. Um, Hallie, I know you're scared to talk, um, but I'm going to ask you a question. I'll read off what you just said about your research. Um, she said that oh, the research yes. that they did, which we're very interested in, said that most shows on networks, the theme of diversity was in fact being represented by non-human characters like Vampirina. And so, and that broadcasters are shifting their focus to think more about diversity and inclusion. We've certainly learned that um, and have been working with studios on that because of an audience demand. Thank God. Yes, right. I agree. We are starting to represent everybody. Yeah, and, and so, yeah, go. no, I was going to say, and so, you know, when we would go out and try to sell shows with real kids, we weren't getting the, we weren't getting the buy-in uh, because they were, they were loving the non-human sure. characters. Yes. There was more of a life, like everybody would want to buy a monster, a monster, cuddly monster over a real kid. Right. And, um, and so. I'm so grateful that that's changing now. So grateful that we're going to see so in the next year, we're going to see so many real little kids up on the screen in animation and live action. And that's going to be super. So I think you'll see the same from Henson as well. So um, when you got cut out, we were, Yolda and I were hanging on your words because you said you did <laughs> some research on the use of uh, inanimate critters, non-animate critters, and you said, and 70%, and then you cut out. Yeah. Oh, so that's 70%, oh. I think, that we're able to tell, right, that they were diverse. Okay, well, um, uh, now she's was represented by non-human characters. Yeah. 
And and I just want to make okay. a plug for all those preschool shows that um, kids notice race starting at six months. And if yes. you don't talk yes. about it, you need to sh- you talk about it in developmentally appropriate. Don't be colorblind, even in preschools, you know, talk, they're going to notice and, and talk about the differences. You can say things like, you know, that, that kid has a different color skin and that, you know, X, Y, Z, but just, just start talking about it, even in preschool. I think if you don't talk about it, bad things can happen. So a friend of mine is an Indian from India not a Native American. And she said her daughter came home from preschool one day and wanted to wash off her color. Mm-hmm. And I think Aww. we, we I know, I know it makes me so sad. We have to talk to children about how we come in all colors, like yeah. M&Ms, like uh, jelly beans. You know, we can, we can help them with homeschooling analogies to realize how rich our world is by virtue of people having all these colors. And you, you can also even, maybe not quite at three or four, but even start talking to them that some people don't recognize that. Some people yes. don't feel the same, yes. but that nothing about you. You are amazing. You know, I'm, yes. Unique. I'm pretty yes. sure I felt that way. I got triggered by a conversation I saw on the first grade playground with my son and it made me cry and it was a white kid telling a Indian kid that her mother didn't let her play with Mexicans. And I got very upset and cried for two days. So, you know, these, these things do happen and we need to help our children understand it has nothing to do with them if if they're of color and we have to help the children, you know, in the majority status um, groups understand that it's inappropriate and not shame them so much that they still feel the feelings and don't talk about them because then we'll never address it. We need to address it. Um, Okay, we only have two more minutes, guys. Um, This is so much fun. More questions, but giving you each one minute, uh, what's your hope for the future of children's media? I'm so afraid to talk. (laughs) I'm so afraid to talk. We wanna hear you. Well, if I freeze, then just talk over me and keep going, Roberta. I know you'll keep it going. My, you know, our hope for the the future of children's media is that we're given an opportunity by the broadcasters to talk about these very important topics that we're all talking about right now, um, that we're able to grow and and meet the needs of children and families right now, not the needs of 10 years ago or even one year ago, but being, you know, being present and being mindful of what kids need. So that's my hope for the future is that our broadcasters are very open-minded to all of these um, possibilities and moving quickly on them. So I I totally agree with what you said, and I'm glad that you developed the shorts concept because it takes two years. That's too long to go in on issues that face us immediately today. So I, I would like to see whatever you said in that comment because i think it will only be good for children and families i would also like to see stories that kids can identify with sometimes those might be a little sad and i i really would like to see a little bit sometimes more realism so that children can live through difficult times with children or perhaps inanimate characters and work through some of the emotions that they might feel. 
So it's a yeah. shocking thing for me to say that not everything has to be happy and jolly because I'm a big happy and jolly person myself. But I really do think it would help kids to see other kids go through stuff and prepare yep. them for going through stuff themselves. You guys are both happy and jolly. It just struck me. You have very similar bubbly personalities. Um, I'm just going to add one last comment. I hope that um, because we are now in a world where technology helps us be interactive and up to the minute and second screen experiences that we create technological tools that help parents um, help yes. kids get the most out of the media because right now there's so much pressure on parents to co-view and sit yes. and absorb yes. and most parents don't have time for that. We have right. to come up with some kind of technological solution that can give them some talking points while the kid's watching it at the same time. And, you know, they don't have to watch the whole show. To know That's right. That's right. Or shoot them a text after to suggest yeah. some exactly. questions they might ask their kid. I yep. love that idea. Yeah, let's make these things happen. Yeah. I'm in. Well, the center is in anyway. So thank you both so much for this wonderful, wonderful time. I'm sorry, Hallie, you had um, you had some issues, but um, the clip was amazing. Your conversation yes. was amazing. And um, I actually do think StreamYard is pretty cool. And Roberta, thank you so much. Was, I, I loved having you and, and oh, talking love to being you. Here. Thanks for uh, thank connecting you. us with the Child and Family blog. Um, talking I guess to two fabulous women. Are you kidding? It's wonderful. <laughs> know, it's fun. fun, right? And with great really questions fun. from the audience. Um, so thank you both. So goodbye from the Center of Scholars Storytellers. Look for our COVID tip sheet and we'll, you know, sign up for our newsletter. We'll have more soon. That concludes this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. A very special thanks to our wonderful guests, Hallie Stanford and Dr. Roberta Golenkoff and our moderator, Dr. Yalda T. Ools. If you have a minute, rate and review us. And if you have any friends who you think would like the show, share it with them. If you're interested in learning more about our work, please visit us at scholarsandstorytellers.com and follow our social media accounts by searching Scholars and Storytellers. This podcast was produced by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers, with special thanks to Jim Ools for creating the intro music, the UCLA Film School, near Liebenthal, and Annie Myers. Goodbye for now, and thank you for listening.